Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Good morning, brethren. Suffering has always been present in our world. But it is in times like these that the amount of suffering that we experience and see all around us just seems to be overwhelming. The figures that are thrown in us by the news are staggering. Not only for the victims of COVID and the problems that COVID has caused all around the world, but the wars, the natural calamities, the famines that people suffer through, the social injustices, and then the accidents, the broken relationships, and the list could go on and on. It seems as if the whole world around us is in turmoil. And as we are faced by all this, we end up asking so many questions. Perhaps the most frequent question that we hear being asked is, why? Why, God, why do you allow so much turmoil, so many problems, so much pain and suffering? And, you know, evil and suffering is certainly not a topic that we'd like to talk about. We want to talk about the fun stuff of life, the good things, and, and those are important too. But this is an important topic as well, and the topic the Scripture addresses pointing us perhaps to the greatest hope that we can ever have. Let's begin today by reading the first letter of Peter in chapter 4. And verses 12 to 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or a thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of a godless man and a sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. Now, the context of this passage is quite clear and, and even all too familiar. The church back in those days, in the days of Peter, was going through a very, very difficult time. The Christians were falsely accused and persecuted for their standards. They were suffering a great deal. Some were tortured and killed. Others were frightened and grieved. Great losses. It was much like it happens today in some of the parts of this world. Let's review together what Peter was inspired to share with us. And we're going to share 
three essential principles to, to keep in mind as we are exposed to the news, as we're exposed to the presence of suffering in the world around us and the turmoil that, that we see in the world around us. And the first concept is that God is not the one who is on trial. We are. Let's look at it. Verses 15 and 16. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name, which means in the name as being called a Christian. Notice here that we are told to, that we are, if we are to suffer, we better not suffer for our own fault, for the things that we have done, for our own sins. It continues in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of a godless man and the sinner? You know, it is nothing new. When something ends up going wrong in our life, we, we rationalize around it. And as we do that, we tend to blame somebody else. That, this is just as old as humanity is. Even the first humans fell into this pattern. When God confronted Adam about his sin, remember what Adam did? He blamed it on Eve and on God himself. That was in Genesis 3. The man said to God, the woman whom you have given me, she gave me from a tree and I ate. So you notice he was blaming God and he was blaming his wife. When something bad happens, it could be anything, a death, an injustice, maybe a war, a disease as we've seen recently, a natural disaster that has hit home. When those things happen, where do we look? Do we perhaps take inventory to see if perhaps it was our sin that contributed to that? And I'm talking about just not the personal or individual sin here, but our collective sin as well. Of course we don't. But we do place God on trial. As if He owed us something, as if He is supposed to be our, I don't know what, maybe our little genie in the bottle. We tend to think that the entire universe revolves around us. But let's think about it. Does it really? What have we done, you may ask? And what have we done to, to cause all these problems or to deserve these things, many people ask. And collectively, the answer could be quite long. Perhaps I, I think we should ask what we have not done to mess up what God has created so beautifully. You see, we destroy almost everything we touch. We have caused so much destruction in our environment. We have polluted the water that we drink. We contaminated the food that we eat. We replace our relationships with machines, giving more attention on to our cell phones and then our loved ones playing games with a machine rather than with our children and then we wonder why the relationships go sour we seek to take from others what we want 
And so in our lust, what do we do? We rob, we kill, we wage war. We're so greedy that we create thousands of industries that turn out to be cancer factories, polluting the lives of other people and causing disease, suffering, and death all around. But then, of course, we find that our individual and collective actions, they do have consequences. And that's where we shift the blame to God. How dares he allow me to suffer these consequences, we ask. Oh, no, I know. Perhaps we don't say it quite that bluntly and well, quite that openly. But let's face it, let's be honest. We end up thinking that. And after all, I hear a lot of people saying, all I wanted was just some fun in life. What's wrong with that? So we keep asking the question, why? Why God? And we ask it as if he's responsible for our bad choices and for the damage that we have inflicted on one another. But let's be real. Who is on trial in all of this? And the answer is definitely not God, but us. Yes, us. Individually, in some cases, and collectively especially. Let's look again at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Did you notice the wording? We're talking about fiery ordeals here. We're talking about great trials. But Peter wrote that we should not be surprised, as if some strange thing were happening to us. You see, we live in this fallen world just like everyone else. So why should we be surprised if we end up sharing in the suffering of this world in which we live in? Our Lord Jesus Christ was rejected and persecuted. And so we could ask ourselves as his disciples, should we be surprised if the same were to happen to us? And I think the answer is not. And Peter makes that point. We should not be surprised at the trials that happen to us, at the suffering that we are exposed to. And the church back in those days, in the days of Peter, was going through a tremendous amount of suffering. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I, I, always, I always end up thinking when I read the apostles talking about and writing about rejoicing in our trials, rejoicing in our suffering if we suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. That is a concept that is so strange in our world today. But notice here that what Peter is pointing to, what is really important, stated Peter, is not whether we suffer, that should not be surprising us, because if everyone around us suffers, we're going to suffer too. But why we suffer and how. I will never forget 
some of the comments that my wife made when she found out that she had cancer. One of the comments was that she, that she shared with me was that she would rather go through something like that as a Christian with Christ than without. She just couldn't possibly conceive going through a trial like that without Christ embracing her, holding her by the hand, walking with her, figuratively speaking, of course, we're talking about that. But, but the presence of God was so vivid and so evident in her heart at that time. And I remember another statement, another comment, that because of the fact that she was going through that trial in Christ and with Christ, she ended up making a statement from the, the, the well-known song, All is well with my soul. And that, in fact, has become kind of a mo family motto since then. All is well with my soul. And she really meant it. She meant that all was well because she was not alone. The other concept that we need to keep in mind, and sometimes we make a mistake about, is that this life is not all that there is. It's a very simple concept. It's a sim very simple thought. And as Christians, we should know better. But we often think about things from the wrong perspective. Despite the fact that we should know better, and we do know better, we think, we tend to think in terms of this temporary life as if it was all that there is. We seek to spend our years in peace, in comfort, enjoying good health and some degree of wealth. But as we pursue those things, it never seems to be enough. And so we pursue them even more. And just to make a reference to what the Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us, it's just all like trying to catch the wind. Look, are the wealthy people all happy? Of course not. There are a number, quite a lot of very healthy people who are unhappy. They lead miserable lives despite their wealth. But, but notice the lessons that God has recorded for us through the experiences of the past. We find the first one in Genesis 47, 9. So Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor they have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. Not as a statement that Jacob made to Pharaoh when, when he arrived in Egypt. Jacob said, I'm 130 years old. So by today's standards, that's quite quite a long life. But his comment was, few and unpleasant had been the years of my life. Longevity doesn't necessarily mean good. Notice another, another statement. This is quite important in my opinion because all the things that we may desire, all the things that we run after, all the things that we may lust for, in, our, in this life, Solomon had them all. People want health, he had it. People want wisdom, he had it. People want women, he had them by a lot. 
People want wealth. Boy, he had it. He, he was the wealthiest man. But notice what he said in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, beginning with verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened, and clouds return after the rain, in the day that the watchmen of a house tremble, and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dim, and the doors on the street are shut, and the sound of a grinding mill is low, and one will arise at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself, himself along, and the caperberry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember him before the silver cord is broken, and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Yes, yeah, Solomon had everything people desire. He had it all. But was that enough? Was it good? as he thought it would be. And the answer is right there. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That was his conclusion. We find another example in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15 and verse 19. Here is Paul writing to the Corinthians, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. I don't think that Paul could make it any more clear. If our hope is in this life only, if our values make us look at this life as if this is everything there is and there is nothing more but this life, then of all the men, of all the people, we are to be the most pitied. Our perspective as Christians is not limited to this life only. But praise God and thank God it extends far beyond this temporary existence. I will never forget a conversation I had with my father late in his life. I remember him sitting in front of me and shaking his head and saying, I worked so hard all my life. I struggled all of my life. And now I look back and I ask myself, what for? You see, if this life is all there is, that's what we are left with. What for? But praise God. Praise God, this is not it. It's only a temporary existence in this physical life. But our life, the life that God gives us, the life that God calls us to, extends so far beyond all this. And it's so much more precious and so much greater than anything that we can see in the here and now. The third concept that I want to remind us about is that God has set a great future before us. 
than that there is nothing, nothing in all of creation that will prevent that future. Because it is established by God and it's carried out by God, made happen by God. And He loves you. And nothing in the whole universe can stop that love. Brethren, we're all sinners. We're subject to the destructive and deadly consequences of the evil that we have individually and collectively chosen. And yet in His awesome mercy, God has entered our suffering in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son, God made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. He personally experienced what it means to be human in this sinful world. He carried all of our evils and took all of our suffering on Himself in a horrible, terrible death to redeem it. And He did it for us. He didn't do it for Himself. He did not need to do any of that for Himself. He did it exclusively for us. And you know what? Far from having to justify Himself to us, God has already given us the greatest, the most complete answers that anyone could ever possibly expect. Yes, He has assured us that evil will not be present forever. And one day, may God hasten that day, it will be completely eliminated. In the most complete and absolute defeat, the entire creation will be made new and will rejoice in the glory of the children of God, as Paul was inspired to write in Romans 8. All of creation will be redeemed as the children of God are redeemed by the blood of, a lamb, of the Lamb of God and, and are called to share His glory. And that glory is going to cause all of creation to rejoice. I wish I had so much more time to address things like that. And we do from time to time. But there is so much more that God says about that. The day will come when all evil and the suffering that it produces will be no more. That means that suffering is only a temporary experience. From the moral evil, we learn that our sinful ways don't work. God's ways do. From a natural or random evil, we learned, as C.S. Lewis put it, that our home is not here yet. You see, we cannot look at our present experience to understand or, or, or experience a fulfillment of our longings for what is good because our present time, our present life is too limited. It just can't contain what God has in store for us. But God gave us a glimpse into our future into the future glory that has, He has reserved for us and made a stunning statement about suffering. We find it in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Don't just, don't just read over that, brethren. Please, take a moment. Let it, let it sink in. Look at the meaning of that. We just mentioned earlier that 
the, the, the sufferings that we see around there are, are staggering, enormous, overwhelming. But Paul was inspired by God to say that if you take all of the sufferings of this present time, you put it all together, they're not even worthy to be compared with the glory that God has in store for you. So if the suffering is so staggering, enormous, overwhelming, then what does he say about that glory? Because all of these sufferings are not even worthy to be compared to it. So how amazing, awesome would that glory be? I can't find the words to explain it. And I hope that the Holy Spirit will guide you to the depth of that statement that God inspired Paul to share it with us. As unbelievable as it sounds, it is in the face of sufferings, the sufferings of this present time, that we can best understand how immense our future glory is going to be. The glory that God has in store for us is so majestic, so awesome, that even the Bible can only hint to it. And it hints to it, unveiling eternity and infinity as a backdrop against which we need to, to frame that, that picture, that concept, that view of the glory that God has in store or has actually given to us, as Jesus stated. When the plan of God will be finally fulfilled, when all is said and done, God will finally release his creation from its groaning and his, its anticipation. But you know, still in Romans 8, Paul told us that the creation is groaning in anticipation for you. When the children of God will be finally manifest in the freedom of God's given glory, then all things will be made new. All things and evil will be forever defeated and annihilated. It is at that time that God, as it says in Revelation 21.4, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain because the first things have passed away and will no longer be remembered or come to mind. Brethren, that mourning, the crying, the pain, they're all part of the first things. What we experience right now is called here the first things, but they're going to be passing away. All these things that we suffer through today will be no more. What is happening here and now, however, what is at stake in our human experience is so truly of cosmic proportion because it's so majestic that the entire creation will be transformed because of it. God is working out an, an amazing plan in your life. What God asks of you, what God asks of all of us right now, is that we trust Him that we appreciate His goodness and that we appreciate Him in the great and the little miracles of this life I like, which remind us that there are better things to come. And to use the words of, the, of Peter in Peter chapter 4 and verse 19, therefore those also who suffer according to the will of God, shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator and do what is right. Notice what Peter said that we are to do, that we are called to do. 
If we suffer, we have the option to suffer in, according to the world, fighting against the, the suffering, fighting against everything, fighting against the circumstances, making maybe ourselves and everybody around us perhaps even more miserable than it needs to be. But we can suffer according to the will of God in a way that honors Him by entrusting our soul. And it talks about God as our Creator, the one who created us and has good plans for us and is faithful to make those plans come true. And as we do that, as we trust Him, we do what is right. So for the moment, He wants us to read the presence of evil and suffering as a reminder of that God offers us something so great and so amazing, but, but it's not for the here and now. It, it could never be, for our present life is too limited for a glory and a joy that only eternity and infinity can ever possibly contain. That's what God has in mind. Something so amazing, so awesome, that will literally transform the entire creation. So ponder that. Please think about that. Let the words of Jesus Christ, the words of God, the words of the apostles, echo in our hearts and sustain us. We're not the first Christians that we're going through trials and problems and suffering and never and will not be the last ones either. But we have one thing, all of us in common. We're not alone in it. Christ. Christ has suffered for us. Christ has taken upon himself our sufferings and has redeemed it and has so much, so much in store for us in the days when suffering will be no more. So until next time, brethren, may the peace of God be with you. God bless you. My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord, for you are my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. the chasms that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night and through the darkness 
your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul your work is finished the end is written Jesus Christ my living hope could imagine so great a mercy, what heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of Kings calls me His own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Seal the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grief has no claim on me then came the morning that sealed the promise your very body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the Yeah.
O oh God, who have so wonderfully created us and even more wonderfully restored us, grants that we may participate in the divine life of him who humbled himself to share our humanity, your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>